This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Carol Howley is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Pan Intelligence. She was the former Global Head of Marketing for Skyscanner. She's got over 15 years of experience in the digital and technology space for established businesses and startups, specializing in growth marketing, go-to-market, brand development, communications, automation, and customer research. Skyscanner welcomed over 100 million monthly website visitors last year, and were bought for a record 1.4 billion in 2016. At Skyscanner, Carol was responsible for the B2B marketing teams, looking after distribution partners, APIs and data products, and was also part of the team who managed the global rebrand in 2018. Carol Howley, welcome to ClientSide. Hi, Nathan. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with your history and background because you've got an absolutely fascinating one. You you started your career in hospitality before moving to the disruptive scale-up. It's called Skyscanner, which we'll talk about in in depth in a moment. Now you're with a really innovative BI and analytics company in Pan Intelligence. When you graduated from Northumbria University in 2005, did you ever think that things would have turned out in the way that they have? Um, To be honest, no, not at all. I think I kind of, um, I didn't really have a, a planned I guess, structure or if I'm going to definitely work in this industry or that industry beyond the fact that I'd obviously graduated in business and marketing and that was what I really enjoyed doing. So, um, so no, I had absolutely no, no idea that I'd end up exactly where I am. So it's a complete mystery how it happened, but, um, I had some really exciting and interesting roles along the way. So definitely something that I'm, I'm really pleased with and very happy with the way things have turned out. Let's talk a little bit about Skyscanner. You joined the company as growth manager in 2014. You knew far more about hotels at that time because you had just come from Best Western. What first attracted you to the company? Um, so at the just right before I, I moved to Skyscanner, I was working at a company that was kind of part of um, Visit Scotland. It was just the the Edinburgh branch of of promoting the city, and within that, I was working on the the sort of agendas and building up the city to be a real kind of, I guess, a, a digital a digital version of the city. So putting the, everything online, bringing all the the attractions online, looking at kind of bringing up access to investing, visiting, meeting and kind of really opening up the city to tourism as well. So within that, I was doing an awful lot in the Edinburgh region for promoting the city, looking at promoting air routes with the industry and, you know, going out and speaking about Edinburgh and and Scotland on a a kind of global stage, a lot of time in China and America. So I was really, really busy sort of traveling around. And within that, I actually pitched for the the air route for Qatar alongside Edinburgh Airport and met some of the business development team for Skyscanner, which really kind of opened my eyes to Skyscanner beyond just using it myself and realizing it was in Edinburgh um, and immediately wanted to work for them. So sort of applied pretty much within a week for a job um, and luckily got the job with them. And, you know, I always loved travel and sort of being abroad and all the exciting things that you could do with travel and that it brought and all the exploration side of everything. So it was a really great opportunity for me to work with them. Really interesting. Skyscanner is obviously a fascinating company and one of the sort of scale-up success stories of the last 10 years or so. Um, Phenomenal growth over a very short space of time. It's obviously run into troubles recently with the global pandemic. But in 2015, growth was slowing down and the marketing team worked really hard to transition to a growth-focused model based on data, iterative cycles, using data to really sort of improve uh, marketing efficiency. 
what role did you play in that transition to growth marketing, sort of growth hacker marketing at, at the company? Um, yes, yeah, so the whole team really, you know, worked together really well. I mean, when we say slowing down for Skyscanner at that time, it was slowing down. So we were kind of going through ridiculous hyper growth and, you know, everything was going super fast and things weren't quite as fast. Sure. Um, was pretty much the best description for it. But still so, pretty fast. Yeah, still crazy fast. I think most companies would have been like, hey, this is awesome. We're growing so <laughs> fast. But for us, it wasn't good enough because it wasn't what we were accustomed to. So sure. um, the business did take a step back and, you know, a lot of people were asked to kind of do a lot of views in the area and look at how marketing was operating and if there was opportunities or our structure was right because we'd gone from you know a few countries to around 30 countries very quickly so it's how to structure all of that how to talk to people how to take into account uh, regional and you know countrywide variances and different ways of working etc that we hadn't really kind of done as well as we could have because we were so busy kind of growing and and doing everything to make that happen so um within that I personally um, saw that we were doing an awful lot, you know, having come from B2B marketing in the past and done, you know, both sides, I could see that actually there wasn't any form of B2B team. There was no form of like proper managed kind of corporate identity and brand identity and, you know, employer brands. So it was something that I thought was a huge opportunity for the company to take advantage of. So um, I pitched to the the CEO and the COO at the time, um, Gareth and Mark, and sort of said to them, you know, here's my, here's my document and my research. And this is why I think it's a hugely important opportunity for the company. And I would really love that we could do it kind of thing. And, you know, gave them all the documents, all the evidence, all the money, did all the financial kind of um, explorations and was super fortunate that they were like, actually, yeah, you're right. We should do this. Off you go. Wow. <laughs> um, so literally gave me a, a mandate that it was something I could do and, and sort of set me off on a path looking into that. Um, and started off just with myself, um, looking after the APIs, white labels, all the data products, all the business elements, and then moved very quickly to take on, I guess, advertising, distribution partners, sort of corporate identity, a lot of brand work and a lot of kind of, um, communications and PR around that side as well so it was a really exciting opportunity for me and and sort of amazing chance to take over all of that and really grow the team from myself to the in the end about 10 people with pretty much sort of every function represented but we operated as a, a sort of central global team across all industries and focused on different regions depending on the, the opportunities. Mm. It, it strikes me that that seems to be the culture of Skyscanner to be quite forward thinking and innovative when they're looking at new opportunities. When you presented this new idea to the leadership team, the COO and the CEO at the time, did they welcome you with open arms straight away? I would imagine that in other organizations, there are reams and reams of, of bureaucracy. It's harder to sort of really get things done. Stakeholder management is a huge thing in large businesses. Does that speak to the kind of culture of Skyscanner, the very iterative kind of fast-moving pace of tech, that they were able to sort of give you that opportunity without the bureaucracy or something else? Talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I suppose it was. I mean, obviously, at the time, Skyscanner now is is a, a huge company. It's over a 1,000 people and, you know, got lots of departments and everything staffed and fully functioning at the time. Um, we were growing and so things were a bit more movable and flexible. But um, within kind of, I guess, Gareth's way of running the company was always kind of an open door policy. And he, you know, was very visible and very accessible and as was the rest of the C-suite. So if you had ideas and you had 
feedback or you wanted to discuss something at that point in the company's growth, you could go up to them. They were sat in an office, you know, in the middle of the office and you could go and chat to them. You could go for a beer with them, have a coffee, you know, suggest your ideas and they'd listen and they'd give you feedback and tell you what they thought very honestly and openly and candidly. You know, there wasn't a, an opportunity to just do everything or anything that was there. You had to have a good business case and logic behind it and have scoped your idea properly. But they were always willing to kind of sit and listen to things. And they did try to keep hold of that as they grew as a, a bigger company and things became more formal. But obviously, I think there's certain stages in companies' ability where you do have a bit more flexibility to try things. Really interesting. And then you mentioned that you subsequently built a team of roughly around 10 people to help execute on on that vision. What have you learned about building great teams that can help you execute on on that vision? Everything from hiring, finding, uh, sort of remunerating, uh, motivating. What have you learned about building great teams? Um, Yeah, there's a a huge amount of areas that you covered, but... um... I think the the biggest thing, and for me coming from, I suppose, um, a startup where you don't necessarily know what you'll need next year or you don't necessarily know where you, you're going to be in the year's time because of the growth and because of the way you're, you're building the team, you sort of have to resource for scale, even if you don't quite have it. So I always found that it really helped me to sit back and kind of think, well, you know, if I can, what's my key priorities what can I do? What can't I do? You know, what do I have to, the hardest decision is always like, what do you have to leave behind and what do you not do? Um, And that's always the hardest thing, I think, because you can't do everything at that point. So if you have a strong plan, then you know what you need to focus on and then you can resource your team around that. Um, I think for startups, it's hugely important to have someone in, you know, good product marketing um, initially and probably a good digital person who can you know, do the two two sides of the coin in the sense of really describing your product and starting to kind of give you that identity and that messaging and explore the customers and, you know, make everything focused around the customer while you're also able to kind of promote yourself externally. And so they're usually the first two roles that I kind of look at from a a kind of marketing perspective, but obviously it does depend on on what product you're selling and what you're doing and what you're building, etc., um, and then just kind of plan it out from there, you know, make sure you're optimizing getting the business in versus keeping the customer's retention, etc. So it's it's kind of always a balance. But um, I think just scaling really sensibly with what you know you can do and what you can know can deliver and, and scoring things and being really critical and, and not doing things. Um, and then in terms of hiring, I think I don't really go in for the kind of... Um, I suppose you know what you want more or less in a skill set, but then I always like to talk to people and find out what they want. And I think the most important thing is to really actually listen to people, not listen to the skills you're trying to tick a box for and listen to what people are saying and what they want and what research they've done in the company, how passionate they are about their job and where they want to go. And I think a lot of people can then, you know, whether or not they have the exact experience that you've got in your box or they come from the same industry, if they're passionate and motivated and they've delivered some great results somewhere else in a different sector, then they're probably the best people to bring on board rather than the person who's done exactly what you're looking for, looking for in a sense before. Um, so I always look for kind of like passionate, excited, you know, eager, open to learn, kind of very open people. So when I'm building a team, that's why. I sort of prioritise, um, obviously really love it when people turn up and they've done the research and they know what we're doing and, you know, they're ready to kind of talk about things with a lot of information as well. So, mm, Really interesting. And it's not so important to you that they're, they've actually come from a similar sort of business. They can come from, their background isn't necessarily important. It's, it's their passion and enthusiasm and their willingness 
to do the role. Yeah. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that because I guess for a skyscanner, there weren't very many companies that had been on the journey <laughs> that you'd been on. So it's, it was very difficult to find uh, people that had come from that sort of place. So getting a, a mixture of different backgrounds and experiences was important to you. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just having that mixture in the team. And once you have started with a few people, you can kind of see the, you know, the types of culture and the types of people and the types of behavior that would fit well with that team. And also, you know, no matter how amazing and incredible someone is, if you know they're not going to gel with your team, then you need to manage that very carefully because having a high performing team involves them all trusting each other, being happy and confident, having a good degree of psychological safety within the team so that they feel able to kind of I guess, create and do their best work. So, so yeah, I think the personalities and the people and the attitude is just such an important factor. Um, and I think for people who, who like working in the tech industry and like working in startups, a lot of the reason behind it is the cultural side and the opportunity, the chance to grow, the chance to kind of take your ideas online, the chance to, you know, share ideas and to, to kind of have that ownership and that, um, that authority over your work and that ability to kind of, take decisions that you don't always necessarily get in a, a more sort of a bigger, more traditional company, I think is possibly fair to mm. say without wanting to, to sort of like put anyone down in a in a bigger company. I think that's brilliant. The amount of work they do is incredible, but I think you possibly have a lot more freedom to define your own path and to define where you want to go and what the company looks like when you're in a smaller company or a you know a fast growing tech or startup situation. Let's talk a little bit about pattern intelligence. You are currently the vice president of marketing and communications, um, relatively new role. Um, the company is relatively new as well. Um, you are a company that is, it's a three in one solution, BI provider of choice for ISVs, very niche. Tell us a little bit more about the company. What problems do you solve for your clients? And give us a little bit of a history and background for those that don't know. Um, yeah, of course. So, um, Pan Intelligence was founded, I'm actually prepped this for the interview, but it was founded <laughs> quite a while ago, actually, around 2014, I think. I'll probably be corrected, but the two co-founders, Zandra and Ken, bought the, the software and the company. They've been working with it for a while from kind of a, a financial services area, and they decided that it was something that they could really take as a standalone product. And so they've been working on that for a while and have in the last, I think it was 2019 in November, they took a Series A fundraise um, for around $5 million, which set the company on a path to really start um, start expanding, building up the technology, building out the team to kind of put us on that path as a, as a startup and going through those kind of fundraisers and that growth plan and um, to put us in that position to really, really grow the product and the team. Uh, so, yeah, Pan Intelligence is obviously, as you say, it's the three-in-one solution, but what that really means is it's a very comprehensive solution and a really comprehensive business intelligence analytics option for companies. One of the things that's quite unique about us is we only sell to other companies. We're only like a pure B2B model. So our ideal customers and the people that love us, luckily, are SaaS companies. So other SaaS companies who happen to be in need of analytics. So a lot of companies, as they build, they suddenly realize that a huge element of their roadmap is their analytics. And building that analytics capability is a massive factor for for them retaining customers for people being able to use it for you know being able to kind of work really well with that SaaS company and the the cloud models they need good analytics and um, so what pan intelligence does is the 
the simple kind of reporting element of the analytics where you can go in, you can see problems, you can see what's happened. They do all the visualizations and the dashboarding so you can, you know, make it look good. You can start to work out how things look and present things really well. But they also do a lot of the predictive elements so you can start to model what could be possible or what could happen or what scenarios would be the future sort of situation. So it gives you a very comprehensive view of your company performance. Um, and as I said, we work with other companies. So um, most recently, we've been embedded into Lead Forensics, which is a, a big marketing technology platform. Um, so they're in the process, we've signed the contracts, and they're in the process of building the capabilities for Lead Forensics and their other partner companies, which is WebEO and Web, Web Insights, which hopefully most marketing people will have used at least one of them. But they're a fantastic, you know, lead generation and marketing tool. So if you look at the analytics, then, you know, going forward, once we've done the integrations, we'll be kind of helping them with that side of things. So that's sort of what what pan intelligence is and what it does. So so maybe talk a little bit about the the landscape and the environment that you're operating in because there are many other BI vendors um, and analytics vendors on the marketplace that do, from my limited understanding, a very a, a similar thing. Maybe talk a little bit about a little bit about the environment that you're operating in. Who are the main players? What does this sort of ecosystem look like? And where does pan intelligence play in that ecosystem? I guess the embedded BI analytics market is a little bit fragmented. So you have a lot of people that are kind of hindsight, which is the reporting. So like I said, they're looking back at what's happened and, and reporting on things. So you have kind of the more traditional things like um, Cognos and, and really old kind of SQL servers where it is just really reporting. Um, then you start to move into the sort of the insight areas where they do the visualizations. So you've got a lot of people use things like Tableau and SciSense and Looker. Um, and then you, you know, at that point, you're kind of really just looking at, you know, why did something happen, finding the root cause of the problem, analyzing that and, you know, resolving it. Um, but as I said, where we're kind of going is more the kind of predictive and prescriptive kind of elements where you're starting to kind of look at, you know, future and have evidence to base, you know, have foresight in a sense to base things going forward. And um, so there's obviously you know, ourselves within that market. Um, there's also, you know, um, I guess Microsoft AI, you know, IBM's Watson, all those areas of things. We're kind of looking and moving very much into that area. So we're kind of more um, more on the sort of prediction, the kind of understanding, the knowledge, the planning, the foresight, the forward-looking kind of side of, of analytics. So, yeah, you have within analytics, you kind of have most people are sort of sat on towards the left side where it's kind of the reporting and the dashboarding where it is just understanding your data, presenting your data, being able to make decisions based on that. Whereas where we are is kind of sat, obviously we do all of those elements very, very well, but we start to look more at the kind of prediction and the knowing and the understanding of how to better resource or better plan or better prepare for the future. Um, so that's the, the difference within our, um, I guess, our focus and our product and why it's very much um, the three-in-one solution is, is what we really go with. Um, and I think within the global BI and analytics market, um, 2020, I think it was around 33.6 billion um, and is growing really fast. Obviously, COVID has kind of hugely accelerated the move to the cloud for companies, the, the real need for SaaS tools, for SaaS businesses to be working. And we see an awful lot of success within you know markets, especially that are growing at the minute, like um, fintech, um, education technology, retail technology, you know, all the, uh, all the kind of areas right now that are really growing very fast because they're seeing a need. So that's sort of where we've seen an awful lot of business growth in the last year. 
Predictive analytics. Could you could you plug into the tool whether you see another pandemic on the horizon? That would be really <laughs> yes. useful to uh, to <laughs> no, know. Um, you um, can actually do that. So any any publicly available data source, um, we can. Uh, you know, one of our consultants. We have a lot of consultants and offer services to kind of help businesses. Um, so one of our consultants could definitely <laughs> plug in the information and and look at that. I think we did a lot of COVID dashboards initially, kind of working out, you know, problems during the the sort of first lockdown kind of phase. And they've done a lot around, you know, Moneyball kind of analytics for who's going to win football and things like that. So we can do kind of fun things, but obviously, usual application is within sort of <laughs> business software and, and modeling your returns and costs and pricing and all of those side of things so yeah we could do that amazing so so you talked about um the fact that you're a pure b2b company mm-hmm. how do how do b2b companies or how do you sell to other companies in this environment traditional events conferences face-to-face meetings have been shut down completely there is increasing fatigue on zoom and on uh, webinars how do you sell to other B2B companies in this environment? Yeah, so for us, we obviously utilize our website. The website's a great tool for, for getting people in, you know, using SEO, PPC, all the, all the tools to kind of get people to come to your website. A huge strategy really that I've started, so the marketing team's quite young, I've been there two months, um, is around sort of content, you know, basic sort of inbound marketing, but really focusing on our content delivery, on our thought leadership, on our... Um, our narratives and our storylines and what the company is, what the brand is, what we stand for, and starting to get that messaging out there so that we start to, you know, we can buy in traffic, we can, you know, target people on LinkedIn, which we obviously do, um, through in-mail, through advertising, through other social media channels, through emails sort of directly out to databases, through partnerships, um, through events that do still run but happen to be online, so not quite as not quite as nice being able to go for a beer with people and, and chat over um, chat over a beer and things. But mm. yeah, so we do use all the kind of traditional channels. But one thing that I'm really focused on building up for the team is that kind of inbound and content marketing and moving then into the account based marketing side of the, you know, the kind of real sales techniques um, within that. So, mm. so yeah, we're doing a huge amount of work on on thought leadership and producing data and reports and utilizing our, our capabilities as a company to sort of show off what we can do two companies and and sort of sending that out directly to them so kind of really the the full mix and you know integrated campaigns are kind of the bread and butter but they're really based on you know telling the story of the company and the capabilities and showcasing the heroes which are the people you know the people that we talk to every day the people who use our solutions they're the people that are building some incredible apps there's um fantastic company building some great apps that helps the nhs the you know amazing apps that kind of do huge amount of kind of impact for companies and you know solving problems so you know they're the heroes for us in a sense they're taking our technology and making it work in real life situations so we focus a lot on the customers and their satisfaction and why they use us and and what they're doing and building so so yeah it's kind of really a full a full mix but definitely miss the the opportunity to go to conferences and meet people and and all of that side of things so there's something about your background that attracts you to startups. Um, Pad Intelligence are roughly around 50 employees, relatively early stage company. I know that they were founded in 2014, but it seems as though the growth of the business has really taken off in the last few years, I would say. Very different to Skyscanner um, in terms of the size and the scale, at least right now. What have you learned about the differences between the challenges of growing a sort of a scale up 
on the B2C side versus selling high value, complex B2B products and services? Yeah, so obviously yeah, when I joined Skyscanner, it was quite a lot smaller than it is now, but um, definitely bigger than Pan Intelligences. So it is very different. Within my role at, at Skyscanner, it wasn't necessarily on the B2C side. It was initially for the first year or so. Um, but my real focus was on growing the business as a, a B2B pitch. So it was those big high value accounts from British Airways through to, you know, the New York Times selling our travel via their pages through to, you know, companies building apps against our, our um, databases like Hitlist and Lucky Trip. So my kind of experience within the Skyscanner remit was around building companies and long term partnerships and developing those accounts and, you know, multi million pound deals that we were doing with people. So my focus was very much on, on growing that side of the business which then supported our capacity and our capability to scale the other side of the business so it was a, a sort of marketplace a two-sided marketplace I suppose Skyscanner but my focus was on you know building the, the capacity and the scale and the distribution and the partnerships so that we could grow the business. Hmm. And as you think about how marketing is is changing I'm interested in knowing sort of what are you most excited or curious about trying or trialing in the next few months or stroke this year it's probably a really good year to sort of start experimenting with things because things are changing so much, you know, because of the fragmentation of media, because of the number of choices that we have at our disposal to target our target audience. What channels, what strategies, what ideas are you thinking about over the next sort of six to 12 months that are most exciting to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> so we're we're doing an awful lot more than we were doing on on webinars. Um, it's having some amazing, I think, a lot of partnership work, maybe, um, possibly because of not being as close to people and you know not having as much contact. But we've been doing a lot of webinars in partnership with people that are using our platform, and also with communities and and building up a lot of kind of people around that side of things. So. Um, I don't know if it's a direct response from from sort of COVID and things, but we've been really enjoying working with other companies and kind of working together on things. So um, our founder recently set up something called the No Code Lab, uh, which is a fantastic community for people who are building no code solutions and, you know, effectively really at the very, very start of their journey um, who are wanting to gain access to technology, who have great ideas and want to solve problems, but don't necessarily have the the background as you usually do with someone who's the founder. They're very often a techie who's come in and, you know, builds the first iteration of something and then can take it to market because they've got something, you know, in their hands. Uh, whereas these people have, you know, got nothing in a sense. Um, they've just got fantastic ideas. So Zandra set up the, the No Code Lab to really facilitate this and bring, you know, partners to people we work with like ourselves. There's a fantastic company called Ninox and User Guiding who are all kind of sponsors. And we give away some of our technology for free to help these people build things. So we've been doing an awful lot around that, around communities looking at kind of how we can help advise and support and, and build that network for people as as well as just kind of purely promoting our company, I suppose. So um, that's been a really great channel that we've, you know, I've loved working on this last few months and, you know, really looking forward to seeing more of. So we're building out our, our network of people. We're starting to see more companies coming in. We're supporting some really fantastic development opportunities for companies that that are building opportunities to solve problems. So um, so that's something I'm really, really excited about and really keen to sort of support and, and see grow. Um, we've been doing a lot more on kind of podcasts, I suppose. So very keen to come on this one. We're looking at whether or not it's something we can do ourselves within the SaaS industry. Um, I guess another thing is around community. We're really looking at how to help support 
uh, businesses like us that are kind of at the stage where they're either going through their first fund round or the second or third and, you know, how to look at the best way to scale and grow and resource and, you know, I guess facilitate that within your company. Um, so it's kind of all around sharing resources and ideas and supporting that community, I think, for us. So very much a, a sort of democratising and opening up and supportive environment, actually, through Pan Intelligence, which is a really nice situation to be in. I think the company very much likes to support the the network and the tech community and, and how we can kind of build things. So. Mm, really interesting. Last question before we get into our speed round. It's about working with agencies specifically. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm interested in is sort of what have you learned about hiring and working with and getting the best out of your agency partners, both from your previous experience at Skyscanner and sort of where you are now? And, and, and when do you start thinking about bringing in that external support to pan intelligence if you haven't already? Um, no, I absolutely have, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I find hiring agencies so hard. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know we're obviously on an interview for an agency, um, but it is so hard because, you know, it's almost like hiring someone. It's such an important choice and it's sure. such an important opportunity to work with an agency and they bring so much to your business. But it does have to be a match for both the agency and the, the company, to be fair. So it's got to, you know, it's got to suit them. It's got to suit their skills, what they want to do, or they can't deliver in the way that they want to. So it's not, you know, it's not like a, an agency has failed if something doesn't work. It's just that I think the match wasn't quite right. And um, so I think that's why it's such a hard decision is to kind of really be able to articulate what you need and what you want and what your targets are and what you want to measure things on upfront to an agency and for them to kind of be honest and open of what they can actually deliver because I think often a lot of the time it's quite aspirational to win the business and then obviously that doesn't end up being a a great situation for everybody so so yeah we've had you know I've changed all the agencies that we had at Pan Intelligence apart from one who you know are still there and doing really really well and it's been I'm not sure if I've made the right decisions yet but I'm hoping so uh, but we were started working with a couple of agencies for our digital marketing and our SEO because we don't have that skill in-house. I'm hiring for it, but I don't have it in-house at the minute. And also for our PR and brand building and um, a bit of support around thought leadership and research and content um, within the marketplace. So it's kind of like you want to match the skills that you don't necessarily have in your business to help you grow, whether or not you're recruiting or, or it's for a period of time or, you know, for good. But then have a, a partner that you can kind of go to, you can trust. It's collaborative they can come up with ideas they can you know sense check your ideas as well so um i think that's why it's so hard it's got to be you know it should be a partnership um and it should be a two-way street you know for both sides really interesting okay let's get into our speed round now i'm going to ask you three questions and if you could fire some answers back that would be mostly appreciated what excites you most about your current role and position I think it's the opportunity to to grow a business. The team that I'm working with are really are wonderful and they're really nice and really dedicated. The company obviously has, you know, a, a huge way to go in terms of growth and where it wants to be. And, you know, it's a new business, so everything's kind of, everything's to do and to build and to fix and to create. So I think that's what excites me most is is the opportunity and the chance to, you know, roll your sleeves up and, and get on with it. So you've got your strategic view of where you want to be and, the kind of plan out for how you meet those horizons and how you meet those targets and you build the company and the capabilities. But I think it's the opportunity and and getting the work done that really excites me. When talking about what you do to your parents, your children, or your partner, what do they think that you do? (laughs) 
Um, my husband's a, a consultant in intensive care medicine, so we um, couldn't be much more different, to be fair. <laughs> um, so he Does he, he get actually, it? <laughs> not really. Well, he does more. I mean, we've been together a while, so he does more okay. now. But he always laughs about the amount of um, acronyms that we have in marketing. Not that they yeah. can talk in medicine, but right. um, he always laughs about the, the acronyms and what we're doing. And he's like, you know, grow, 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 scale, do this, do that, build this. <laughs> Iterate, innovation. Yeah, yeah, it's like you guys use so many buzzwords and things. So yeah, disruptive innovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, so yeah, he's a he just think it's quite funny. And my parents, I think they they're very proud of what I do, but they have no idea. What I do. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, um, something with computers. Yeah, something to do with computers, <laughs> and she talks a lot. <laughs> Final question: What advice would you give to a recent college graduate who wants to start their career in a global B two B brand? So good question. I guess um, to be really honest with themselves, what their skills are and what they want to do and where they want to where they want to go, you really can't beat the experience of a, a very large brand. But for some people, it isn't it isn't the right thing and it's not what they want to do. So I think just do your research, you know, look into the company, look into the culture, look into the opportunities, you know, where they've been, where they're going, what they say about themselves um, and really be selective of what you want and then, then try your hardest to kind of get a job there. But also do your research and be prepared to back up your ideas with data. I think, you know, people these days, marketing is so data focused and it's so digital and it, you know, people can see through things if you don't, if you don't know your stuff. So I think it's, you know, do your research, do your work and and be selective of what you want to do. Great place to end. Carol, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. No, it's really kind of you to have me on. I'm very, it's really strange to sort of talk about yourself instead of talking about a product or something else. So it's been, been a lovely opportunity to talk to you. Definitely. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email elva at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Elva Bonsal, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.